0: Now we come to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, as you might know if you've turned there, uh, is a very famous story in the Bible about a guy and some lions. And we're going to walk through the entire chapter today, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at just the last few verses Uh, where where the pagan king responds to the miraculous acts of the Lord. And so before we dive in to unpacking every part of this passage, I just wanted to read that last bit. So Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Let's pray together one more time. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would bear great fruit in our lives. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Some of us are worriers. We fill our nights especially, but also our days with worry. You know, sometimes uh, some people have ringing in their ears, Whenever there's silence, some people have worry in their ears whenever there's silence. Whenever something is quiet just for a few moments, we fill our ears and we fill our minds with all of the things that could possibly go wrong in our lives. Sometimes we worry about things that we have control over. Sometimes we worry about things that we've done in the past. Sometimes... We worry about things that we have no control over. Maybe in the last few weeks you've read a news story about a recession and you've started to wring your hands about it and said, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to keep myself safe? How am I going to provide for myself? And, and we worry about things like that, things that we have absolutely no control over. And I've heard it said, maybe you've heard this, that worry like that is like a rocking chair because you do a lot of movement but you don't actually get anywhere. You just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help you to worry about those kinds of things. And yet it's not very helpful for me to just stand up here and say, hey, maybe you should stop worrying about the recession. Maybe you should stop worrying about the election and the outcomes of it. Maybe you should stop worrying about your health. That wouldn't be very helpful for me to just come up here and say, stop worrying, get over yourself. Instead, I want to give you a reason to not worry today, friends. And the reason that you don't have to worry about things that you have no control over is because there is a God who is in control of those things. And he's good. He is a mighty, powerful God in control over all things... And he is a wonderfully kind God whose purposes for your good could never be stopped. Not by a government edict passed down by a pagan king. Not by roaring lions threatening to take your life. Not by sickness or recession or election or calamity. Nothing will stop this great, mighty God from fulfilling His purposes towards you. And His purpose is kindness. And that kindness is shown here in Daniel chapter 6, but shown supremely in the gift of His Son, what we celebrate at Christmas. God gave His Son as the infinite act of kindness who died for our sins on the cross and rose again. Friends, if you're ever tempted to worry, look to the cross and be reminded of the kindness of God, the never-ending, never-failing, never-giving-up, covenant-keeping, promise-making love of God, proven in the cross and resurrection of his Son. Friends, don't worry about things that you have no control over, but instead... Give yourself to our indestructible king and his indestructible kingdom. And that is the antidote to worry. That's the main thing I want you to take home today. Give yourself to our indestructible king and his indestructible kingdom and then be freed from worry. So as I said, we're going to walk through Daniel chapter 6 today, which is a very famous story that many of you are familiar with. But we're going to spend the bulk of our time just reflecting on those words at the end of this passage, when King Darius, a pagan king, gives praise to the one true, great, glorious, kind God. So our story begins in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Let me set the scene for you. We're currently sitting in the pagan empire of Persia. God's people have been sent away there in exile. And one of God's people, a man named Daniel, through his great skill and care and God's favor on his life, has been elevated to positions of authority in this foreign nation. And we pick up Daniel's story in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius, that's the king of the Persian Empire, one of the most powerful, mighty men in the world at the time. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. That's a protector of kingdom interests, kind of like a provincial governor. And King Darius sets, over, sets 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. His empire is so vast, he can't keep a watch over it on his own, so he appoints these 120 satraps to keep a watch over it for him. But then he's got 120 people that he's responsible for, and that won't do either. So in verse 2, over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. So King Darius, at the top of the org chart, he has three high officials under him, Daniel being one of them. And underneath those three high officials are 120 satraps. Those numbers are going to be important. Because notice what happens next. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Notice the high officials, Daniel's equals, Daniel's co-workers, and the satraps, an army of 120 powerful leaders, have allied themselves against Daniel. They're saying Daniel is getting some opportunities that ought to be going to us. We've got to do something about Daniel or we're all going to be out of a job soon. We've got to do something about Daniel or he's going to take our Christmas bonuses. We've got to do something about Daniel, or we'll never get a promotion, because this Israelite's taking them all. And so there's 122 people allied against Daniel. Oh, friends, the odds of this story are already astronomically against Daniel. What kind of odds this is. And just think about the audacity of Daniel. We haven't gone there yet, but Daniel is not going to let these 122 leaders intimidate him. Instead, he's going to maintain faithfulness to God. And that is crazy. That would be like if I tried to play football against the entire roster of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not going to get one yard down the field, friends those odds would be absolutely ridiculous. I'd be crazy to even try. But Daniel's not crazy because he's not alone. And the one God who was with Daniel was far more mighty and far more kind than those 122 government leaders. So these men, they're conspiring against Daniel. They're looking, say, is there any way that we could find Daniel at fault? Any way that we could find Daniel breaking the law that he's entrusted to uphold? But, verse 4 continues, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So what do these governors say? They say, we're never going to catch Daniel red-handed unless if something that King Darius decrees butts up against or contradicts something that his God has decreed. The only way those governors knew they could get Daniel in trouble was if there was a law that contradicted a law of his God. A law of the Persian Empire, a law of King Darius, that contradicted the law of Daniel's God. Oh friends, could people say that about you? Could people say that there's absolutely nothing I could find wrong with them unless it's something that Jesus told them to do? Think about 1 Peter 3.16, where Peter writes to the church encouraging them that they ought to have a good conscience So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Friends, we ought to live that kind of upright life. So that the only thing people could find against us is things that Jesus has told us to do. Daniel's name means God is my judge. And he lives that out. Throughout this story, we see that Daniel is not afraid of the judgments of men. He will always obey God rather than men. May that be true of us. Verse 6, the plot thickens. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king... Remember, that's 122 government leaders in charge of the whole empire. They're all in agreement. We've got to do something about Daniel. And they come up with this nasty scheme. Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. Injunction, just a law that restrains someone from doing a particular action. For a certain amount of time. And so these these governors, they come to Darius and they say, Please establish an injunction that whoever makes petition, request, prayer to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So you see what's happening here. 122 leaders allied against Daniel. They tricked the king into outlawing prayer for 30 days. So you can't pray to anyone except Darius. And they know that's going to cause trouble for Daniel because he doesn't pray to Darius. He prays to the one true God, the God who is great enough and kind enough to answer his prayers so that he never has to worry. Will that God prove his goodness even in the midst of this horrendous circumstance? And this law is according to the Medes and the Persians was a common expression in the Persian empire. The the king of Persia did not have a veto authority to stop a law. A law that was signed could not be revoked. That was their custom. So what's Daniel going to do? Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. So he prays towards Jerusalem. He prays towards the dwelling place of God where God's promised to establish the throne of his son forever. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. And he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Previously, this has been Daniel's practice. Friends, Daniel had a busy government job. He was number two in a global empire. And yet his practice was to devote himself to pray three times a day. And so often, our excuse for not praying is, I'm too busy that's for people that don't have something better to do. I'm too busy to give myself to that. Daniel wasn't too busy, and he, was, he had a far more demanding job than we do, any of us in this room. But notice also, not only was he not too busy to pray, but he also wasn't too prideful to pray. Daniel is number two in the kingdom. He is mighty. He is strong. He is powerful. He's probably good-looking. Who knows? He's, he's incredibly wise. And yet he's not self-reliant. Daniel knows that all of those blessings are a gift from God's own hand. Daniel knows he has nothing apart from the grace and kindness of God. He's not too busy to pray. He's not too prideful to pray. So he devotes himself to prayer three times A day. And notice that he did this as he had done previously. So he wasn't affected by the injunction either way. Some people like to make a show out of righteousness when it's unpopular. Not Daniel. And may it not be true of us. Daniel's not being belligerent. Daniel's not hearing about this law, and he's saying, forget you guys, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah, rock on prayer. He's very quietly continuing to serve his God. Oh, friends, let that be true of us. When someone disagrees with us, don't rush to an argument. Just continue to quietly serve your God. if someone in authority over you oversteps that authority and makes demands on you that you don't feel are appropriate, there might be a case for defending yourself in times, but our first reaction, friends, ought instead to be one of humility and quiet spirit to continue to quietly serve our God. verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making a petition and plea before his God. What's Daniel doing? He's petitioning God. He's pleading with God. He's making a plea before God. He's he's asking God for help because his situation is really, really hard. He's saying, God, I'm in this impossible situation. I need you to help me. This is my petition. God, save me. Daniel's first reaction to this trial wasn't worry, it was prayer. Because he knew that while he was completely out of control of this situation, his God was not, his God was in control. Friends, if we try to be self-dependent as a response to worry, we'll just lead ourselves to more and more and more anxiety I was convicted a few months ago because whenever I started to worry about money, my first reaction would be to open the app and look at the bank account and see, is it really that bad? And I was like, oh, it's not that bad. And then I felt better because I had a security net underneath of me. I had a savings account or whatever. Oh, friends, that's pride. That's foolishness. Because that savings account could go up in flames tomorrow. Instead, my first reaction shouldn't have been, oh, it's not that bad, I can take care of myself. My first reaction should be, God, I need you to provide for me. I need you to protect me. God, I'm feeling anxious. I'm casting my care on you because you promised that you care for me. Oh, friends, let's resist self-dependence. And sometimes we say it's really hard to pray in a season like what I'm in right now. Friends, that's the perfect time to pray. When prayer is hard is when we need prayer more than ever. And prayer can lead to more prayer. If you ask God, God help me pray. He's able to do that, friends. He was able to save his son from the grave. He was dead. He wasn't breathing. And then he started breathing again. And we think that God's not able to help us in prayer That's crazy. On the days when you're feeling like, I can't pray today. Short prayer, one sentence. God, help me pray. And he will, friends. He will. Make a petition. Make a plea to him. When you are feeling worried, God's response to you is not condemnation, but come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Also, friends, don't run from our God in self-dependence but run to him with prayer and thanksgiving. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Saying, is this? Is the, did we rightly interpret the law that we wrote to trick you? And the king answered and he said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He realizes that he's been tricked. And so he devotes himself How can I get Daniel off the hook? What can I do to save him? And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king. Notice again and again, they came by agreement. They came by agreement. They came by agreement because the odds against Daniel were astronomical. They came by agreement to the king yet again. And they said, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, His hands are tied, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Friends, this is a pit in the ground that's full of roaring, hungry, real, mighty lions. This is not a picture book with cute little smiling fuzzy things. This is a pit of lions that are going to kill him. Sometimes we become so familiar with stories like this that we miss out on the absolute craziness of them. That would be terrifying. The king declared to Daniel... May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of of the den. And Daniel's not getting out. But notice what happened there. A stone rolled in front of a cave where a man was presumed to be dead. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Let's come back to that. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So that was a practice when a tomb was sealed. It was sealed with a government seal. And that was a decree from the emperor, say if anybody messes with this tomb, they're going to be next in it. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. It's a long night. And notice who's not in verse 18? Daniel. Daniel's completely missing. It's just King Darius. You know, see what the story's doing? The tensions are rising. We don't know what's going on with Daniel. We're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is he, like, already toast? Is he already been devoured by the lions? Is it over for him already? We're worrying with Darius if we read this story rightly. And then, verse 19, Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel is raised from the dead, basically. He was as good as dead, and God saved him. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. Notice here the picture of God's justice. Daniel says he wasn't killed because he was blameless. That doesn't mean because he didn't have any sins. He was an imperfect sinner just like you and I. But instead, God wasn't going to allow this grave injustice to pass. God's justice looks after those who are overlooked and taken advantage of in this life. And so Daniel was vindicated. Daniel was saved against all the odds. 122 government officials allied against him. A den full of roaring, ravenous lions, and they can't open their mouths all night long. And so Daniel, verse 23, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Friends, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. Why was no harm found on him? Because he had trusted in his God. It was Daniel's faith that saved him. God is the Savior and he saves us through our faith. That's why we believe it's important that people put their trust in Jesus. Because there's no other way to salvation. We're saved by grace alone. It's not something we earn. It's God's gift to us. And we're saved through faith alone. The way that God's grace is given to us is through our faith. We come to him with empty hands of faith and say, God, I need you to save me. Not saying, God, I've done enough, I've worked enough, I've believed hard enough. But saying with empty hands, God, I have nothing to offer you. You save me. And the king commanded, verse 24, And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And listen to this. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Daniel lasted a whole night there. These guys don't even hit the ground before these lions have annihilated them. Clearly, there wasn't something wrong with the lions. There was something right with Daniel's God. He was able to save And that brings us to the song that Darius sings to Daniel's God. It's a song of praise. It's a declaration that Darius makes to his entire empire. And I want us to just spend the last few minutes of our time together looking at it. And specifically, I want you to see three truths about God from this decree of Darius that I think will set you free from worry. And if you don't believe these things about God's character, he's proven them to us already by saving Daniel from the lion's den. The first thing I want you to see is that he is a king with unlimited boundaries. God is the king of all the earth. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, And languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Friends, this passage is astounding because you have a pagan empire who believes himself to be worthy of, uh, to be a recipient of people's prayer and you have this pagan emperor pledging allegiance and giving praise to the God of Israel. He's not an Israelite. He has no claim on the God of Israel, and yet he's giving praise to him. And not only that, he's taking the next next step, and he's encouraging people from every people group, every ethnic, language, cultural group, every nation, every language that they ought all to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Darius knows that God is a God of all the nations. He is not a tribal deity. He is bigger than any one ideology in our own nation. And he's bigger than our nation itself, too. Friends, this is all over the Bible, that God has a heart for the nations because he's worthy of it. And it ought to be close to our heart too. If Darius could believe that God had a claim over every tribe, tongue, and nation, we ought to believe that too, friends. And so one way that you could do that, that you could put that conviction into action is in a few weeks on December 4th, We're going to be taking up our annual global missions offering to support the work in Thailand. So maybe you could begin to prayerfully consider how you might give to that work. Our God is a king with unlimited boundaries. Number two, he is a king with unlimited power. And friends, first of all, how on earth would it free us from worry to know that he is a king with unlimited boundaries? Because there is no trial that you might face that is outside of his control. Because there is no line of His purposes that will not be accomplished, including bringing worship from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne of His risen Son. Friends, God will accomplish His purposes. You can trust Him for it. Because He's a king with unlimited boundaries and a king with unlimited power. God has limitless power in and of Himself. Himself. He is not fueled by gas or solar or electric. He is entirely self-sustaining. Verse 26 continues. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It will have no end. And God will always be in charge. He will always be seated on the throne. Darius praises him as the living God. He is the living God. Living is who he is. You cannot take the living out of God. He has life in and of himself. He doesn't need to get it from somewhere else. He's not worried that it might escape him or run away someday. He is the living God. And this phrase, the living God, is used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's judgment over all of the nations. Deuteronomy 5.26 says, so, so Moses' final address to the people, reflecting on everything that God had done in their lives. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and still lived?" God's voice speaks with authority to declare the law and to declare judgment. And usually when people hear it, they die, they perish, unless, unless the living God has made them his own. Oh, friends, it is terrifying that God has this kind of power unless you are his. Because we've rebelled against him. We don't deserve to hear his voice when sinful people like us hear his voice, we ought to be decimated because we're rebels of this great mighty king, the living God. That's what the living God does. He judges the people unless they are his because the people who are his are spared from judgment. And we believe that happens because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus died in our place for our sins, for our crimes. That's why Jesus died on the cross. To save rebels like us, to draw people in, to save us. Not based on our own goodness. Some of you believe that Christianity is about being a better person, and it's not, friends. It's not. If that's not the kind of hope that could save you from a from a lion's den and it's not the kind of hope that could save you from the living God whose word speaks with authority and ought to decimate us He is the living God and he is enduring forever God has always existed and will always exist as far into the past as you could look, God, God is. Even before time was, God is. As far into the future as you could look, God is. He is enduring forever. He did not come into being. He is not improving. He will not change. He endures forever. He endures forever. And he proved this in the resurrection of his son from the grave. That nothing could stop him, not even death, because he endures forever. He endures forever. Notice, I pointed this out to you, but look again. Daniel 6, verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Keep that in mind and listen to Matthew 27. The next day, after Jesus died on the cross... That is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Prince Daniel's redemption from the pit of the lions is a foretaste of the resurrection of Christ because a tomb sealed with a seal from the emperor declared no one's going to rescue this person and God rolled the tomb away and gave Life. He gave resurrection. Daniel, as good as dead, Jesus, actually dead, and God gave resurrection hope to both of them. Friends, throughout the Bible, this is the foundation of our hope that we worship a God who is able to raise the dead. This gives us hope for now because we believe that if God can raise the dead, there's nothing that could be done to us, that would make us worry. And this gives us hope forever because we believe that if we are in Jesus, we will never die. We will live forever with our God. That's astounding. We have hope for now and forever. Friends, we don't have to worry because we worship a God who raises the dead. Oh, so friends, resist, resist hand-wringing worry. For many of us in this room, our temptation is to worry about politics. And we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is on the throne and he always will be. We need to resist a worry about what our neighbors might think of us if we share Christ with them. We need to resist worry about the future, about natural calamity that might come up against us. Friends, what's the worst that they could do? Throw you into a lion's den? Because that doesn't work. It's not effective. And sure, yes, you might die in this life, but you have the hope of resurrection. You will live forever. This life is just a blip. So don't live your life worrying and fear to preserve it. That's crazy. And why can we trust this God? Why can we not worry? Not only because of his power, but also because of his kindness. Final thing, he is a king with unlimited kindness. Friends, God will move heaven and earth to save his people. Verse 27. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Friends, God did not save Daniel as a one-off. He didn't didn't see Daniel's predicament he's like, oh, shucks, I should probably do something about that. Saving is who he is. It's in his character. He must save. Not in the sense that he's indebted to us or he needs us. He doesn't. He's the living God. He has no need of us, friends. But he must save in the sense that that's just who he is. Kindness is indispensable to God's character. And of course it is. Of course kindness is central to God's character. What else could possibly motivate the kind of crazy, lion-stopping, sin-forgiving, son-giving love that our God has shown us? Friend, I, I heard something this week from Jared Wilson. He's a, he's a pastor in, in Kansas City. And he said, imagine that you've just blown it all day long. Sin, mistakes, bad habits, and you find yourself at night all alone sitting at the kitchen table and Jesus walks through the door. What's your first reaction? Oh man, I've blown it. Because that's not Jesus' reaction to you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Not, come to me, those of you who have gotten a little bit of your act together. Come to me, those of you who are so jacked up, you you know that you have nothing good to offer. Come to me, those of you who are weak and stained with sin and lonely and broken and stuck. Come to me. And he's able to say that. He's able to stretch out his hands to you that are pierced with nails for you. And he's saying, come and take my hand. I'm going to help you. Kindness is central to the character of God. Friends, he's not giving up on you and he's never going to. I promise you that. Because kindness is who he is. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the lion's den. He redeemed Jesus from the grave. He will forgive every one of your sins. Just come to him in faith. And coming to him in faith is not a one-time thing. It's not you believe in Jesus and then you're set. Because I don't know about you, I believed in Jesus 12 years ago and I'm still a mess. I still need him just as much as I did back then. We need and now I'm just more aware of how much I need him. I don't need him any less. And he's still there for me. And he's still there for you. You can come to him, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Friends, kindness is crucial, central to the character of God. Some of you are like philosophical and you like to do thought experiments like, what if God was all-powerful but not all-kind? That doesn't even make sense. That's like saying, what if the sky wasn't brown but it was, it was blue or orange instead? That doesn't make any sense. You can't fathom a God without kindness. Sure, you could invent one. He wouldn't be worthy of your worship. But the God of the Bible Kindness is indispensable to his character. He has always been full of love. And he has no need of us. He saves us because he's kind. Because he's merciful and gracious. We're going to invite the music team up and let me just share three final thoughts. First thing, don't presume on the kindness of God because he doesn't owe you anything. Yes, he is infinitely kind, but don't presume on that kindness. Number two, trust the kindness of God for salvation. Some of you have never come to faith in Jesus in this room. Friends, he is calling out to you to rescue you from from a tragedy and a horror that is significantly worse than a pit filled with lions. He is calling out to you to save you from your sin. And those of you that are Christians, he's still calling out to you saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You don't graduate from grace. You need it every day, so come to him. Well, friends, we need God every single day to show us his kindness, to sustain us, to forgive us, to empower us. So trust him and depend on the kindness of God. Don't presume on it. Trust it and depend on it. Live your life in such a way that you need him to provide. But don't worry. Because he will. You're not in control. What are you going to do? Worry? Or cling to the God who is in control? Friends, we have no need to worry. So let us give ourselves to our indestructible king and his indestructible kingdom.